You're listening to The Restaurant Grind, the podcast of small business restaurant tours. Welcome back to The Restaurant Grind again. JD here with Matt, your co-host. Today we have Mason Jambone, the managing partner of Laughlin Yard, Rail Garden, and Bounty on Broad. I know you're originally from New Orleans. How'd you get to Memphis and uh, what made you start Rail Garden? You know, I was uh, extremely fortunate, I think. I was a English and philosophy major at Loyola in New Orleans and uh, looking for a job. And I had a friend that said, I've been working at this restaurant. Why don't you come and apply? I had a khakis, a little blue blazer, mattress tie, and I walked into Commander's Palace. I didn't know what it was or, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a social economic yeah. class where my parents frequented yeah. Commander's Palace. Yeah. So um how how old were you? I was 20 maybe. Yeah. Emerald was the chef. He had just become the chef so he wasn't really Emerald yet. He yeah. was a working chef. Um <laughs> I had no restaurant experience. I had done a little time in the army. Um, been in Europe for a little while, came back, and Miss Ella said, you look like a nice prepper young man, we'll give you a job. You're hired. Yeah. And so I uh, I started off at the bottom, I was a food runner. Um, I remember I'd never carried a tray, and this is true, she made me walk around the courtyard with cinder blocks on a hotel tray for weeks until <laughs> I was comfortable, and then I could carry one plate. And then I could carry two. I mean, there was a joke for a while that I was the longest tenured runner in the history of commanders <laughs> because everybody would move up and you became a back waiter, then a front, then a captain. And it took me forever. I had no experience. But um, I I didn't know who I was working for. Or I didn't understand, um, you know, the gravity of the, the situation that yeah. was. But... I happened to join them at the time that we were winning James Beard Awards for service and, um, you know, best restaurant. And and I'm just very fortunate. The formative years of my career were, you know, based on the things that the Brennan family taught me. And, and um, I'm still grateful to them. I, I, I keep in touch with Dickie. He and I are close to the same age. Um you know, when I go back to New Orleans, I always go to mm-hmm. one of the places. So I, I worked for him for about 13 years, on and off. I was the um, I was a GM at Palace Cafe. I opened and was a GM at Dickie Brennan's. I was a GM at uh, Redfish Grill, um, and then I went out. Um, we Ralph Brennan and I opened up uh, two restaurants in downtown Disney in Anaheim. Um, so I went out there uh, as the West Coast Director of Operations. And then if it hadn't been for the hurricane, I'd probably still be working for Ralph. What happened was all of our operations in New Orleans were destroyed or destabilized. Yeah. We had no revenue coming in. And he, you know, honestly couldn't afford to continue to pay me like we were like I was being paid and I had moved to Orange County, which yeah. was, you know, I couldn't afford to live here without being right. paid like so, I was being paid. <laughs> You know, I stayed uh, stayed for a while, um, and then I, I ended up taking a job with House of Blues. I was the opening GM at the House of Blues in Houston. I, I, you know, foolishly, I guess, I was trying to move back to New Orleans right after the storm. My whole family was there. I'm from there. You know, I had people telling me, don't, I'm crazy. My, I have a daughter that was uh, just born, and they were like, there's nothing, you know, to do here. But Houston was close enough. Mm-hmm. Um so we moved to Houston. I opened up House of Blues Houston. Um, 
very successfully. We had a great run. We were acquired by Live Nation. Um, and then I uh, got promoted. I was a, a regional vice president. I had, um, I had House Blues Houston. I had Dallas. I had New Orleans. Um, I helped with the opening of the ACL Club in Austin and had some other clubs and theaters around. And, um, you know, that was sort of my introduction into the to more of the concert music venue. We, we still had, um, you know, F&B operations, mm-hmm. fairly significant ones, but um, I guess I worked for those guys for about 10 years. It was, but the, the whole time it was a struggle. Live Nation is a concert and music venue uh, company. That just does a, food. Not a food company. And so they, I think they have really done away with all of the most of their food full surface restaurants even in the house of blues they've kind of gotten mm. rid of them and focused Spars. on yeah concerts and and um you know bar food and uh and and liquor very lucrative yeah. but you know not really what i was used to doing so i did that for a, a good while had a, a great time um it came a point once we got acquired by ticketmaster so it was live live nation first then ticketmaster it just got really big in corporate and something I didn't want to uh, really do. We were traveling. I was traveling a lot. So I opened up some restaurants in Birmingham, Alabama with uh, my college roommate. I eventually sold my um, my portion of the company to my partners. Um, I went to work with uh, Chef John Fulce and Rick Tremano uh, from True, mm-hmm. who have Restaurant Revolution. We opened up uh, Seafood Revolution in Jackson. I was the vice president of uh, operations, and I did that We for a couple of years. We were going to continue to open up stuff. We had a, a spot on Wacker in Chicago, and we were looking at stuff in D.C. and New York. Um, I love John. John's a great guy, probably one of the most knowledgeable and, and, and best guys I've met in the food business. And um, But, the, you know, chefs at some point, didn't want to continue their professional relationship and there really was no future, you know, without expansion. So Mm -hmm. I started looking and the way I got to Memphis, luckily, um, I'd met Tommy Peters through my time at Live Nation. He was looking for somebody. He hired me as the chief operating officer to come and, you know, help him Mm -hmm. here. And I guess we had 15 places, mostly around the Southeast, um, New Orleans, Montgomery, Nashville. When was that? It had to be eight, nine years ago. Okay. That's how long I've uh, been here. I did it with him for about a year, year and a half. I, you know, my expectation was not to travel as much as I was. I, my daughter was just going into junior high. I had missed um, most of my son's stuff. Everything. The, yeah. Yeah. Growing up, you know, traveling. I had really, you know, between the traveling back and forth to California and then with Live Nation, wherever. And so one day I came home and told my wife, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'd been in Orlando for three or four weeks in New Orleans for four or five weeks. And I just said, I'm, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's not, makes sense. not something I want to do at this point in my life. So I was, you know, lucky to kind of stumble into John and John Plangen and Taylor. They had opened up uh, Laughlin Yard. We were, I think they had gotten the, land for rail garden but we hadn't opened it up yet and they were looking for somebody to come in and i came in and uh and eventually became one of the partners there and and that's where we are now i have um, a partner in laughlin yard in rail garden and in bounty on broad and manage the three properties so i'm real happy i tell people 
I may open something else up, but it won't be any place that I can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> so with the House of Blues background, kind of really tied you into the rail garden aspect, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, there are guys that book music and that's their business. And I'm not that, I'm not mm-hmm. a music booker, but fortunately when I came to work for, when I went to work for Live Nation, I was put with two of the best you know, music bookers that they had, a a guy named Anthony Nicolaitis, who at that point was booking clubs, but I think now is booking arenas. And uh, Bob Rue, who was a legendary promoter, who is now like the number two guy in Live Nation based out of Houston. And so even though my job wasn't to book the music, they taught me, you know, almost everything about um, that side of the business. And so I've been able to use that to help with the, music booking at rail garden and kind mm-hmm. of steer it in the direction that we want to steer it to. That's awesome. And on the food and beverage side, where do you think you gained that most knowledge throughout your career to change menus, keep up to date and just know your prime costs like you do now? You know, I'll tell you what's funny. The, the Brennan's taught me originally everything I know about customer service. You know, they're very customer focused, but initially they did not let managers, front of the house managers, into that realm. Mm-hmm. So you, like the business aspect of running a restaurant for the first, I don't know, five, ten years of my career. You were service-minded. Not, yeah, not I, was, running a I was basically a, a maitre d', a yeah. front of the house manager. Um, you know, you had to learn about scheduling. I guess you learned mm-hmm. a little bit about ordering uh, liquor, beer, wine. But mm-hmm. I left the Brennans for a while and went to work for Morrison's Food Group running cafeterias and hospital food service. And I tell people that I learned more about the business of running a restaurant, working for Morrison's Food Group, than any place else. I was looking for a way to get back to New Orleans and got a call from Dickie that they were going to open up Dickie Brennan's Steakhouse. And um, I left there and came back, and I knew so much more about the business of running a restaurant that – my ascension in the company was pretty quick after that because I had an advantage over the guys that had stayed yep. and had not, you know, gotten that, gotten that other perspective. And, and look, the Brennans were great about that. They would tell people, cooks, you know, managers, you need to go work somewhere else for a little while. They wanted you to go out and get around. And if you ended up back with them, you did. And if not, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I remember, uh, yeah, I had a whole bunch of little stints. I opened up, uh, Mike Ditka's place in New Orleans and worked with him on a few things. And I remember Mr. Dick coming to the opening and him telling me, make sure this goes well because my name is associated with you. And that, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously, that's that's how they hey, Don't work. be messing this up or yeah. I'll, <laughs> um, seen his eyes or he gets pretty mad on the sideline, man. It hurts somebody. They're great. They, they were great people. Yeah. I mean, really, um, and, and, you know, did things that just over and above for, um, their staff, but, you know, I remember them giving uh, etiquette classes. Some of us had no idea why that was, you know, and it it makes much more sense once you know, and things are, like, there's a reason. It's just not something that somebody made up, but, like, it was, I thought, kind of brilliant that they they did that, you know. um, They invested a lot in staff knowledge and education not just and not just pertaining to their particular business i mean yeah. 
we would we had a, a lady marianne steerwald who was uh she was our wine buyer she wasn't a sommelier she used to be a nun and i guess didn't <laughs> well, want she knew one kind of wine <laughs> yeah 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 the blood of christ is pretty good wine that's I right think, uh... like between shifts at palace cafe at uh, commanders wherever we were she would come around and and i remember drinking great wine and she would make the kitchen make food and i, I remember asking her one day marion why are we drinking all this really expensive wine and she said you don't want to drink bad wine <laughs> you don't want to sell people bad wine and and she was like look people make a lot of pretense about wine and wine it's just grape juice and everything's subjective and nobody can really tell you Oh, I had that wine because it's always changing. What do you like? What yeah, you, yeah. She said the really the most genuine thing to do is to drink the wine with the food, and then you can honestly tell a guest, "Hey, I just had that with that mm-hmm. catfish pecan, and it was great." Yeah, because that's what everybody asks when you're asking right. your server, like, "Hey, what would go good with this?" Yes, yeah. I think you know a lot of that. We we miss a lot of that now. It, you know, in cities like New Orleans, Chicago, San Francisco, New York, there are professional servers who make mm-hmm. a great money okay. six figures you yeah. know that's what they do they do that for the rest of their lives some of them go into management some of them don't cities like memphis birmingham jackson you know it's more it's a younger generation mm-hmm. they maybe uh, it's their secondary job so sometimes it's harder to get the Fair staff time. it's not a career yet it's, it's just a job well or, or to take it at least seriously, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, what I kind of tell them is you're going to get as much out of it as you put in, mm-hmm. put as, put some effort in. We'll teach you some life skills that you'll, you know, whether you become a banker or a car salesman or whatever, it's good for you to know what fork to use when you go out to eat. And yes. it's good for you to know a little bit about wine, just in case you have to host a dinner for somebody. And so just the people, there's skills. no better experience than hospitality business. Restaurant I, business. I agree. I, we, I mean, it's one of our things we ask in our interview process of an accounting <laughs> firm is, do you ever, I want to see them deal with the upset customer at the table. Sure. Or, oh my God, I rang in the wrong thing. I forgot to ring in the wrong thing or whatever it is. Make uh, you think on your feet for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah it, customer it, service skills at its finest. Mm-hmm. It's a lost art, I think that, um, and it wears you down. Like every once in a while I have to take a step back and kind of. Uh, get recharged to go back. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, a grind. Yeah, definitely. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by the Memphis Restaurant Association, the Mid-South's key advocate for restaurant owners, managers, and employees alike, promoting the best dining experiences Memphis has to offer. Business owners, do you have a clear picture of where all your money is? Are your taxes getting taken care of on time? Clarity and consistency are key when it comes to getting the most out of your books. With detailed monthly financials and ongoing advisory services, Patrick Accounting is here to help you make more money and keep more of it. Learn more at patrickaccounting.com. Memphis, I I told you before we started, reminds me of New Orleans Mm -hmm. a lot. Good and bad, you know, um, tremendous food culture, music culture. Um, Political struggles, yes, culture issues. 100%. And so I love it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I loved New Orleans. I loved Houston. I'm not, 
I'm not a guy. I'm not a Nashville guy or a yeah. Dallas guy. I like to live in a city that's a little bit more gritty. Yeah. That is, uh, um, but I, I feel like we're kind of on the precipice. I think that Memphis has a PR problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, you know, obviously everybody talks about crime. I don't think crime's any worse here than it is in New Orleans or Atlanta or Houston or anywhere no, else. We have not. to figure out. I mean, yes, we. There are some things that some real crime issues that we have to deal with but we also i think as memphians have to stop beating up on ourselves so much in uh in announcing to the rest of the country how bad it is here because i've lived in other places it's not as yeah i mean our our problems are no different than st louis or yes atlanta or new orleans we do have a bad pr problem and same problem all these we have a poverty problem we have a culture problem we've got an education problem that turn into a crime problem. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's, I was in, you know, I sat on the board of the CBB for New Orleans and for Orange County. I, I, I really need to, to get more plugged in here, but I feel like Memphis has all of the bones to become one of those at least second tier convention cities mm-hmm. to compete with Nashville and, you know, wherever else you just have to put it together and it's hard, you know, because, uh, sort of that chicken and egg thing, like you need some tax revenue and some businesses sort of flourishing to have the revenue to build the infrastructure to get it going. But the infrastructure kind of has to be there, right. you know, to attract some of these businesses. So, but you know, when guys like, uh, Fred Smith and those guys do what they did the other day and, and yeah. commit all that money to keep the, professional team that's a huge deal oh, like yeah. people don't uh, i think recognize how much yeah what happens if they walk out right yeah, mm-hmm. how much of an impact that has on the um on the the just the financial health of the city yeah. um especially in the hospitality business um so yeah i, I think we can I, I think we can get there we're close you know i, I and i don't know how we do this i'd love to see us put together a have a more comprehensive culinary hotel restaurant program Mm -hmm. at university of memphis university of memphis like university of new orleans has done you know or or unlv you know they have some really um good programs for uh hotel restaurant management and i think we could do the same here like that is part of our issue is that we don't have enough skilled labor Mm -hmm. um and enough culinary labor to staff the the places that we have now, you know. My daughter is going to culinary school. That's her plan right That's now. That's great. Yeah. But that was after work, just started. She started work. working in the restaurant business. Yeah. She's working over at Moondance. That's great. And uh, she's loving it. She's still, she's front of house. She's serving now. She's 18. But she's like, I, I'm, I think th- I love this environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the idea of, she's a creative. Yeah. And uh and I think she's looking forward to it. So she's going to start at Memphis and figure out from there. But that's the biggest thing. Like once you get those first timers, like you were at Commander's Palace, you don't know what you want to do, and then you learn and you grow, and then you find goals that you want to keep doing in the same industry. I never thought I would do this. I went. Mm-hmm. I double me. I mean, I, I focused in, in English and philosophy. Like English and philosophy. That sounds like a perfect <laughs> background for I, I was, a restaurant tour. I was going to go to law school. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought I wanted to do. I had no idea what lawyers do. And then once I figured out kind of what lawyers do, I was like, I don't want to do that. Seven that sounds terrible. Screw that. Yeah, well, I have two younger. <laughs> I have two younger brothers who were. Uh, 
pretty successful attorneys. And I thank God every day that I that I didn't do that. True story. This is a funny story. We were in um, we had a big concert at House Blues Houston one time, and um, a whole bunch of people there. I ran into somebody, and you know they were asking me about my brother, somebody I knew, and I said, "Yeah, you know, man, I'm kind of the black sheep." I said, "One of my brothers works for uh, you know the Jeff Bayer out in Birmingham. He does all of the legal work for him, and the other one uh, works for the Department of Justice." <laughs> and uh, and I said, "You know." I'm sitting here running clubs, and he said, "Shit, man, you made a career out of partying. <laughs> That's right. It's a lot more fun." <laughs> so they sit at a desk all day. Yeah, he's like, "Man, I, I love you. Made a career out of partying." So um, That's right. I think it there is, and I guess always has been a stigma about you know mm-hmm. hospitality work and working in restaurants. But I, it's a you can make a good living. I think a lot of the things that used to happen maybe have gotten cleaned up in the industry to a certain extent. Um, and, um, there's opportunity. And I think in a city like Memphis where maybe there aren't a million jobs, uh, out there, if we could figure out how to even just promote ourselves a little better, it opens up a lot more opportunity for some of these, you know, restaurants and bars that are opening up and then get a workforce coming in. That's you know, kind of knows what they're doing. Um, With all your experience, with all the concepts, what is one piece of advice that you would give a future entrepreneur that starting in the restaurant industry, like you were as front of the house server runner to keep going? I mean, look, if if my number one piece of advice for anybody that's going to open up a restaurant is have enough capital and reserve. The thing that dooms most restaurants is that they underestimate how much money you need to sustain yourself for the first year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, then what happens is you start making decisions based off of cash, not off of what's best for the business. So you maybe open up a meal period earlier than you were ready to open it up with regards, mm-hmm. you know, maybe cuz we'll make a couple extra bucks. Yeah, you know, instead of not doing lunch for the first 6 months, you're undercapitalized so you start doing lunch and then you you know your training's not there your staff's not there or you didn't um, have the marketing piece to let everybody correct. know you had the I mean, lunch I, the, to me that is what i've found is that you just can't be undercapitalized going in you have to have some cash in reserve to weather those because look i think things cost more than you expect your build outs never go as easy as planned you yes. never open when you're really expecting to well and, and you like what will happen too is you open up usually gangbuster busy but you're really not making money because you haven't worked those systems out to make money so you look at your bank account one day oh man I'm 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 set and then the next you know payroll hits you your bills clear and there's really nothing left and yep. I think that um having enough capital and reserve you know let you sustain some of that nice be thick skinned <laughs> it's uh it is 24 7 yeah gotta be all in but oh, yeah. man Again. thanks so much for coming no, Appreciate thank you. It. we hope you enjoyed this episode of the restaurant grind if you did please hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating on your podcast player doing so helps our stories inspire more people in their restaurant grind journeys we'll see you next week